Horse and His Boy by C.S. Lewis. Chapter 15. Rabidash the Ridiculous. The next turn of the road brought them out from among the trees, and there, across green lawns, sheltered from the north wind by the high wooded ridge at its back, they saw the castle of Anvard. It was very old and built of a warm, reddish-brown stone. Before they had reached the gate, King Loon came out to meet them, not looking at all like Erevis's idea of a king, and wearing the oldest of old clothes, for he had just come from making a round of the kennels with his huntsmen, and had only stopped for a moment to wash his doggy hands. But the bow with which he greeted Erevis as he took her hand would have been stately enough for an emperor. Little lady, he said, we bid you very heartily welcome. If my dear wife was still alive, we could make you better cheer, but could not do it with a better will. And I am sorry that you have had misfortunes and been driven from your father's house, which cannot but be a grief to you. My son Kor has told me about your adventures together and all your valour. It was he who did all that, sire, said Erevis. Why, he rushed at a lion to save me. Eh, what's that? said King Loon, his face reddening. I haven't heard that part of the story. Then Erevis told it, and Kor, who had very much wanted the story to be known, though he felt he couldn't tell it himself, didn't enjoy it so much as he had expected, and indeed felt rather foolish. But his father enjoyed it very much indeed, and in the course of the next few weeks told it so many people that Kor wished it had never happened. Then the king turned to Huyn and Bree, and was just as polite to them as to Erevis, and asked them a lot of questions about their families and where they had lived in Narnia before they had been captured. The horses were rather tongue-tied, for they weren't yet used to being talked to as equals by humans, grown-up humans, that is. They didn't mind Erevis and Kor. Presently, Queen Lucy came out from the castle and joined them, and King Loon said to Erevis, my dear, here is a loving friend of our house, and she has been seeing that your apartments are put to rights for you better than I could have done it. You'd like to come and see them, wouldn't you? said Lucy, kissing Erevis. They liked each other at once and soon went away together to talk about Erevis's bedroom and Erevis's boudoir and about getting clothes for her, and all the sorts of things girls do talk about on such an occasion. After lunch, which they had on the terrace, it was cold birds and cold game pie and wine and bread and cheese. King Loon ruffled up his brow and heaved a sigh and said, Hi-ho! We still have that sorry creature Rabidash on our hands, my friends, and must needs resolve what to do with him. Lucy was sitting on the king's right and Erebus on his left. King Edmund sat at one end of the table, and the Lord Darren faced him at the other. Dar and Peridon and Cor and Corin were on the same side as the king. Your Majesty would have a perfect right to strike off his head, said Peridon. Such an assault as he made puts him on a level with assassins. It is very true, said Edmund, but even a traitor may mend. I have known one that did. And he looked very thoughtful. To kill this rabidash would go near to raising war with the Tisrock, said Darren. A fig for the Tisrock, said King Loon. His strength is in numbers, and numbers will never cross the desert. But 
I have no stomach for killing men, even traitors, in cold blood. To have cut his throat in battle would have eased my heart mightily, but this is a different thing. By my counsel, said Lucy, your majesty shall give him another trial. Let him go free on straight promise of fair dealing in the future. It may be that he will keep his word. Maybe apes will grow honest, sister, said Edmund. But by the lion, if he breaks it again, may it be in such time and place that any of us could swap off his head in a clean battle. It shall be tried, said the king, and then to one of the attendants, send for the prisoner, friend. Rabidash was brought before them in chains. To look at him, anyone would have supposed that he had passed the night in a noisome dungeon without food or water. But in reality, he had been shut up in quite a comfortable room and provided with an excellent supper. But as he was sulking far too furiously to touch the supper and had spent the whole night stamping and roaring and cursing, he naturally did not now look his best. Your royal highness needs not to be told, said the king Lynn, that by the law of nations as well as by all reasons of prudent policy, we have as good right to your head as ever one mortal man had against another. Nevertheless, in consideration of your youth and ill-nature, devoid of all gentleness and courtesy, which you have doubtless had in the land of slaves and tyrants, we are disposed to set you free, unharmed, on these conditions. First, that... Curse you for a barbarian dog, spluttered Rabidash. Do you think I will even hear your conditions? Ha! <laughs> you talk very largely of nurture, and I know not what. It's easy to a man in chains, ha! Take off these vile bonds, give me a sword, and let any of you who dares then debate with me. Nearly all the lords sprang to their feet, and Corin shouted, Father, can I box him? Please! Peace, your majesties, my lords, said King Lin. Have we no more gravity among us than to be so chafed by the taunt of a padrock? Sit down, Corin, or shall leave the table. I ask your highness again to hear our conditions. I hear no conditions from barbarians and sorcerers said Rabidash. Not one of you dare touch a hair on my head. Every insult you have heaped on me shall be paid with oceans of Narnian and Archenlandish blood. Terrible shall be the vengeance of the Tisrock be, even now. But kill me, and the burnings and torturings in these northern lands shall become a tale to frighten the world a thousand years hence. Beware, beware, beware! The bolt of Tash falls from above. Does it ever get caught on a hook halfway? asked Corin. Shame, Corin, said the king. Never taunt a man save when he is stronger than you. Then, as you please. Oh, you foolish rabidash, sighed Lucy. For next moment, Cor wondered why everyone at the table had risen and was standing perfectly still. Of course, he did the same himself, and then he saw the reason. Aslan was among them, though no one had seen him coming. Rabidash started at the immense shape of the lion pacing softly in between him and his accusers. Rabidash, said Aslan, take heed. Your doom is very near, but you may still avoid it. Forget your pride. 
what have you to be proud of? And your anger, who has done you wrong? And accept the mercy of these good kings. Then Rabidash rolled his eyes and spread out his mouth into a horrible, long, mirthless grin, like a shark, and wagged his ears up and down. Anyone can learn how to do this if they take the trouble. He had always found this very effective in Callerman. The bravest had trembled when he made these faces, and ordinary people had fallen to the floor, and sensitive people had often fainted. But what Rabidash hadn't realized is that it is very easy to frighten people who know you can have them boil alive the moment you give the word. The grimaces didn't look at all alarming in Archenlin. Indeed, Lucy only thought Rabidash was going to be sick. Demon, 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 shrieked the prince. I know you. You are the foul fiend of Narnia. You are the enemy of the gods. Learn who I am, horrible phantasm. I am descended from Tash, the inexorable, the irresistible. The curse of Tash is upon you. Lightning in the shapes of scorpions shall be rained on you. The mountains of Narnia shall be ground into dust. The... Have a care, Rabadash, said Aslan quietly. The doom is nearer now. It is at the door. It has lifted the latch. Let the skies fall, shrieked Rabadash. Let the earth gape. Let blood and fire obliterate the world. But be sure I will never decease until I have dragged to my palace by her hair the barbarian queen, the daughter of dogs, the... The hour has struck, said Aslan. And Rabadash saw to his supreme horror that everyone had begun to laugh. They couldn't help it. Rabidash had been wagging his ears all the time, and as soon as Aslan said, the hour has struck, the ears began to change. They grew longer and more pointed and soon were covered with gray hair. And while everyone was wondering where they had seen ears like that before, Rabidash's face began to change too. It grew longer and thicker at the top and larger eyed, and the nose sank back into the face, or else the face swelled out and became all nose. And there was hair all over it, and his arms grew longer and came down in front of him till his hands were resting on the ground. Only they weren't hands. Now they were hoofs. And he was standing on all fours, and his clothes disappeared, and everyone laughed louder and louder, because they couldn't help it. For now what had been Rabidash was simply and unmistakably a donkey. The terrible thing was that his human speech lasted just a moment longer than his human shape, so that when he realized the change was coming over him, he screamed out, No! Oh, not a donkey, mercy! If it were even a horse in a... And so the words died away into a donkey's bray. Now hear me, Rabidash, said Aslan. Justice shall be mixed with mercy. You shall not always be an ass. This, of course, the donkey twitched its ears forward. And that also was so funny that everybody laughed all the more. They tried not to, but they tried in vain. You have appealed to Tash, said Aslan. And in the temple of Tash, you shall be healed. 
You must stand before the altar of Tash and Tashbane at the great autumn feast this year, and there, in the sight of all Tashbane, you ask a shape will fall from you, and all men will know you for Prince Rabadash. But as long as you live, if ever you go more than ten miles away from the great temple in Tashbane, you shall instantly become again as you are now. And from that second change, there will be no return. There was a short silence, and then they all stirred and looked at one another as if they were waking from sleep. Aslan was gone. But there was a brightness in the air and on the grass, and a joy in their hearts, which assured them that he had been no dream. And anyway, there was the donkey in front of them. King Loon was the kindest-hearted of men, and on seeing his enemy in this regrettable condition, he forgot all his anger. Your Royal Highness, he said, I am most truly sorry that things have come to this extremity. Your Highness will bear witness that it was none of our doing, and of course we shall be delighted to provide Your Highness with shipping back to Tashbane for the, uh, treatment which Aslan has prescribed. You shall have every comfort which your highness's situation allows. The best of the cattle boats, the freshest carrots and thistles. But a deafening bray from the donkey and a well-aimed kick at one of the guards made it clear that these kindly offers were ungratefully received. And here, to get him out of the way, I'd better finish off the story of Rabidash. He or it, was duly sent back by boat to Tashbane and brought into the Temple of Tash at the Great Autumn Festival. And then he became a man again. But of course, four or five thousand people had seen the transformation and the affair could not possibly be hushed up. And after the old Tisrock's death, when Rabidash became Tisrock in his place, he turned out to be the most peaceful Tisrock Tallerman had ever known. This was because, not daring to go more than ten miles from Tashbane, he could never go on a war himself, and he didn't want his Tarkanes to win fame in the wars at his expense, for that is the way Tisrocks get overthrown. But though his reasons were selfish, it made things much more comfortable for all the smaller countries round Kalerman. His own people never forgot that he had been a donkey during his reign, and to his face he was called... Rabidash the Peacemaker, but after his death and behind his back, he was called Rabidash the Ridiculous. And if you look him up in a good history of Kallerman, try the local library, you will find him under that name. And to this day in Kallerman schools, if you do anything unusually stupid, you are very likely to be called a second Rabidash. Meanwhile, in Anvard, everyone was very glad that he had been disposed of before the real fun began, which was a grand feast held that evening on the lawn before the castle, with dozens of lanterns to help the moonlight. And the wine flowed and the tales were told and jokes were cracked, and then silence was made, and the king's poet with two fiddlers stepped out into the middle of the circle. Erebus and Kor prepared themselves to be bored, for the only poetry they knew was the Calamine kind, and you know now what that was like. But at the very first scrape of the fiddles, a rocket seemed to go up inside their heads, and the poet sang the great old lay of Fair Olven, 
and how he fought the giant Pyre and turned him into stone. And that is the origin of Mount Pyre. It was a two-headed giant. And won the Lady Liln for his bride. And when it was over, they wished it was going to begin again. And though Bree couldn't sing, he told the story of the fight of Zalandre. And Lucy told again. They hadn't all, except Erebus and Quor, heard it many times, but they all wanted it again. The tale of the wardrobe, and how she and King Edmund and Queen Susan and Peter the High King had first come in the Narnia. And presently, as was certain to happen sooner or later, King Loon said it was time for young people to be in bed. And tomorrow, Cor, he added, shall come over all the castle with me and see the estras and mark all its strength and weaknesses, for it will be thine to guard when I'm gone. But Corin will be the king then, father, said Cor. Nay, lad, said King Moon, thou art my heir. The crown comes to thee. But I don't want it, said Cor. I'd far rather. Tis no question what thou wantest, Cor, nor I either. Is in the course of law. But if we're twins, we must be the same age. Nay, said the king with a laugh. One must come first. Art Corin's elder by fully twenty minutes, and is better too, let's hope, though that's no great mastery. And he looked at Corin with a twinkle in his eyes. But, father, couldn't you make whichever you like to be the next king? No. Kings under the law, for it is the law which makes him a king. Hast no more power to start away from thy crown than any sentry from his post. Oh dear, said Corin, I don't want to at all, and Corin, I am most dreadfully sorry. I never dreamed my turning up was going to chisel you out of your kingdom. Hurrah, hurrah, said Corin. I shan't have to be king. I shan't have to be king. I always want to be a prince. It's a princes have all the fun. And that's truer than thy brother knows, Cor, said the king, Loon. For this is what it means to be a king. To be first in every desperate attack and last in every desperate retreat. And when there's hunger in the land, as must be now and then in bad years, to wear finer clothes and laugh louder over a scantier meal than any man in your land. When the two boys were going upstairs to bed, Cor again asked Corin if nothing could be done about it, and Corin said, If you say another word about it, I'll, I'll knock you down. It would be nice to end the story by saying that after that the two brothers never disagreed about anything again, but I am afraid it would not be true. In reality, they quarreled and fought just about as often as any other two brothers would, and all their fights ended, if they didn't begin, with Kor getting knocked down. For though, when they had both grown up and become swordsmen, Kor was the more dangerous man in battle, neither he nor anyone else in the North Countries could ever equal Corin as a boxer. That was how he got his name of Corin Thunderfist and how he performed his great exploit against the lapsed bear of Stormness, which was really a talking bear, but had gone back to wild bear habits. Corin climbed up to its lair on the Narnian side of Stormness one winter day when the snow was on the hills and boxed it without a timekeeper for 33 rounds, and at the end it couldn't see out of its eyes and became a reformed character 
Erebus also had many quarrels, and I'm afraid even fights with Kor, but they always made it up again, so that years later when they were grown up, they were so used to quarreling and making up again that they got married so as to go on doing it more conveniently. And after King Loon's death, they made a good king and queen of Archenland, and Ram the Great, the most famous of all the kings of Archenland, was their son. Brian Huynh lived happily to a great age in Narnia, and both got married, but not to one another. And there weren't many months in which one or both of them didn't come trotting over the pass to visit their friends in Anvard.